Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. I want to ask a very simple question of you this morning. And that is, how do you walk? Okay, very, very simple question. How do you walk? Now, we, um, I have uh, two teenagers, two teenage girls, a 13-year-old and a 15-year-old, and and I like to go to the Peak District to go for walks. I I actually do like to do that. Uh, Ironically, when I was a teenager, I hated doing that. Um, But as you get older, slowly you turn into your dad. That's what I've realised. And I like to now go and do that. But when I walk, I often find myself at the front, ahead of the family. I just like to get my head down. I like to get up the hill as quick as I can. I quite enjoy kind of powering up the hill. Uh, And as the kids have got older, my youngest one, Esther, who's 13, she quite likes doing that as well. So the two of us, albeit at the front, are pushing our way up. Actually, we walked Snowdon a few years ago, and Esther ran the last kind of... 300 meters or so, like, I don't know what's wrong with you, but uh, we, we, we like to charge ahead. Now, but Vicky, my wife, and Abby, they don't. They like to walk slowly. They like to stop and look at stuff. Look, it's a flower with a bee. Who cares? They like to stop and pause and enjoy what's going on. I like to get to the top. Now, once I get to the top of the hill, there's that sense of I've achieved it, and then I just wait for everyone else to join me. And by the time they've got to me, your heart rate's dropped, you feel pretty happy, and you want to get moving again. And and that's the point I get into trouble, because I want to start moving straight away, and they get frustrated that they haven't had time to rest, which, as far as I'm concerned, is their fault for being slow. They slow me down. Uh, That's somewhere I want to get to. I have a clear purpose, and everybody should go at the same pace as me. Uh, And that's kind of how I like to walk. Now, if I happen to be on a walk where there's someone who's quicker than me, then I'm working hard to keep up with them. Brings out my competitive edge. I'm always trying to catch them up. So how do you walk? How do you walk? And actually, it is a question that Paul asks in Ephesians lots. Uh, It comes up again and again in Ephesians. And you'll be able to see a few examples here for me. There you go. So we see in Ephesians 2, he says, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared for beforehand that we should walk in them. So we should walk in good works. Ephesians 4, he says, and I say and testify in the Lord, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. So uh, we uh, walk in good works, but we don't walk like we used to. We walk away from, uh, from sin. We now walk like Jesus. And then Ephesians 5, he says, and walk in love as Christ loved us, gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice to God. So we walk in love as well. And he also says, Ephesians 5, for at one time you were in darkness, but now you are in the light of the Lord. Walk as children of the light. And then he says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. So we walk in good works. We no longer walk in our old behaviours. We walk in love. We walk in light and we walk in wisdom. He clearly likes this imagery and this idea of walking. And that is a picture of the Christian life. And it leads us to ask a very clear question of ourselves, doesn't it? How do we walk? And I think Paul has in mind our behaviour. 
Also, our intentions, what we, in our hearts, what we want to do, as well as our thought lives, how we uh, think and perhaps understand our faith, perhaps even our purpose, where we are wanting to go, but also our attitudes as we walk. It's the way that we are living life is what Paul has in mind. So in the, in the early church, the beginning of Acts, Christianity wasn't called Christianity, it was called the way. They used to say, this is the way that we live life. And I think as Paul writes this, he's thinking, well, how do you walk the way? How do you walk this road, this path that is to follow Jesus? So we're going to read from Ephesians 4 today, just six verses, and we're going to ask this question of ourselves. How do we walk? So let's read. It says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. So how do we walk? And that's what Paul is urging them to think about. How do you walk? Do you walk in a manner worthy of your calling? So let's think about that. What's he mean by manner worthy of your calling? When that first verse, he says that, I urge you, walk in this way in a manner worthy of your calling. And the key words in verse 1 is the word therefore. Okay, if if Paul throws in a therefore, you have to understand a bunch of what he previously wrote. We can't just read this passage on its own in isolation. Uh, And actually, Paul has covered a lot of grounds in Ephesians already, which if you've been coming along to Reddish, you will have heard taught on, uh, but he's covered a lot of grounds. And he's writing this to churches, to a lot of different churches, probably in and around this place, Ephesus. Uh, Most likely, it was a letter that they received uh, and then got passed around the different churches. And when the letter uh, would have arrived, it would have been read out to the the group, to all the Christians in that place, and perhaps some other people then wrote it down and kept a copy, and it would have been passed then to the next church. But all of the believers there, whether they were rich or poor, whether they were young or old, whether they were different ethnic groups, whatever they were, they would have sat and listened to this letter. Uh, And I also imagine that they would have spent time trying to understand what Paul meant, uh, tried to uh, kind of digest and apply what he meant as well. So when Paul says, therefore, they're all thinking about all this stuff that they've just read and listened to. It's it's quite a good exercise if you you want to, to read Ephesians just in one go. It's not a very long letter, um, but it can help you to put it all into uh, how Paul intended, into that line of thought. And he says, therefore... And lots of things then spring to mind. For example, what would spring to mind is all the privileges of being a follower of Jesus that Paul has outlined. He talks about the blessings of salvation, the hope that we get in Jesus. He also talks about how we are united with Christ. He uses that language that actually when we give our lives to Jesus, we kind of become one with him. We get to share with him his rule over creation. Also, Paul writes about how we are united with each other. He talks about how in the church there are no more Jews or Greeks, which really what he means is actually there's no more ethnic division. 
There's no more division based on class or anything like that. Actually, we are called into one humanity, he would say. So when you're the church, it's not about separate groups. Actually, you are identified in a different way. You are members of God's family. And he describes that. He calls them members of God's household, like you get to live in the same house as God. And that gives you access to the Father in heaven. You get to him. You're given a role in God's universe, God's plan for all of creation. So that's a long list of privileges that come to us as followers of Jesus. And there are also some responsibilities as well. Paul also says, look, uh, we are prepared for good works. There are good works for us to do if you are a follower of Jesus. So when Paul says, therefore, all of that's in mind, okay? All of those privileges all of those responsibilities, and he's saying, therefore, we walk this out. We live this life. So how do we do that? How do we walk in this way? How do we live all of this truth out in our everyday lives as we, as we work, as we're with our friends, with our families, as we uh, do the things that we do? How do we live as believers, as followers of Jesus, as disciples of him? And Paul gives us some hints and clues. Uh, firstly, He talks about our relationships, how we need good relationships. How do we walk? He says, with all humility, with gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Now, just for a moment, it's fascinating that you think, okay, how do you walk as a Christian? And he doesn't say, right, pray lots. Okay, that's your first thing. Pray lots, really nail those spiritual disciplines Fasting at least once a week, if you can manage that. Uh, He doesn't say, right, I'd like to sort out your tithing. Those are things that are are good things to work on, first of all. Relationship with Jesus, really important. Actually, the first thing he says, how do we walk this out? Well, with with humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love. Our relationships. He goes straight to how we treat other people. And I think he realises that actually how we treat others is a really good revealer of our hearts, of our true selves, how we treat other people. Now, he is concerned with uh, church unity in this, and we will uh, get to that in a moment. But but real unity of, of a group of people, real unity of God's people, means being with people who aren't like you and perhaps that you don't like. It's interesting, isn't it? We don't have to be in community only with people who are like us and that we get on well with. That was not unity for Paul. And so he's addressing this because he realises actually in those situations with people perhaps like that, it can bring out the worst in you. It can actually reveal your hearts, truly reveal where you're at. I used to have a job many years ago when I lived in Birmingham, and the boss of that job used to drive me bonkers. He used to drive me around the wall. He was a complete opposite to me. I'm a bit of an internal processor, so I like to think about things and kind of my brain works that way. He was external processor extreme, like he couldn't not talk. It was impossible for him not to talk. And I used to dread getting stuck in a conversation with him because I think, I'm never going to get any work done. I don't know how I'm going to get out of this conversation. Uh, and actually, over time, I became quite rude 
to him just to end the conversation. I would be really quite cutting and then just walk away. I found myself being rude about him when he wasn't there. I realized that if he was talking and I just walked away and shut the door, I could still hear him talking. I wasn't treating him very well. And actually, it revealed my heart to me. I remember talking to another one of my colleagues and us both realizing this says a lot about us, not about him. I wasn't treating him with humility or gentleness or patience or kindness. I was treating him with my pride, obnoxiousness and impatience. How we treat people actually can reveal our heart. Now, we all know people like that who we just, you just don't click with. You don't get on with. There may be no reason for it, or perhaps you can just identify the reason. It could be someone in your family, could be someone at work, could be someone in church, who knows. But Paul asks us actually to look at our own hearts, not to look at others. And he gives a few different ways to do this. Uh, And it can be helpful to see the opposite sometimes. So he says, walk with humility. What's the opposite to humility? It's pride and arrogance. He says, walk with gentleness. And what's the opposite to that? Well, it could be maybe heavy-handedness or aggressiveness or even being hard-hearted about someone. And he talks about walking with patience. And again, the opposite for that obviously can be impatience. And it's always in this sort of thing, when we read these letters or we reflect on this stuff, to to look at the behaviour of other people, isn't it? So maybe you think this, well, if they were more humble, then everything would be better, wouldn't they? If they were more willing to, you know, to serve me a bit more, this would improve the situation. Uh, You often find that perhaps in a a married couple, they've been married for a while and they'll come and talk about their issues and often it's this person needs to change in that and then we'll both be fine. It's rarely self-reflective. Or perhaps you might think if they were just more gentle, uh, then life would be simpler for me. Or if these people were more patient with me, then they would be a better friend. But actually, we're called to look at ourselves and to allow the Holy Spirit actually just to provoke us, to challenge us, to help us walk in this way. If we find ourselves, incidentally, uh, ask, am I humble? And think, yes, I am very humble. You may, may have something to work on. And these characteristics, really, as we look at them, are copying Jesus. Okay, Jesus is the great example, his desire to put others first, to put others above himself. So he is the son of God's perfect being. He is Lord of all. He is above us in every sense. And yet he put our needs above his own. He came to earth, lowered himself. He went into death so that we don't have to. It's the ultimate example. And we are called to walk like him to put others first, not our own wants, our own needs, our own desires, but other people's above ours. So if you here, Christchurch Manchester, if you all kind of individually decided, you know what, I'm going to put the needs of other people in my church above my own needs, actually, you would find something very powerful happening very quickly. You would find a group of people that outsiders are jealous of and want to be part of. I want to be part of that group. They look after each other. They look out for each other. They sacrifice for each other. For me, I found my particular way that I need to do this is I need to learn how to keep my mouth shut. Okay, this may surprise you. It may not surprise you. Uh, But I'm a relatively opinionated chap. 
So I can pontificate on any number of subjects for any length of time uh, with often not a great deal of knowledge, but high opinion. uh, And I can go like that for a while. And I realised that I like being heard more than I like to listen. I've realised that. I like to be heard by people more than I like to hear them. Uh, And that reveals perhaps an amount of pride within me. So uh, what I've realised I need to do is, right, okay, Tim, what you need to do is you need to ask questions of people and about them. And you know, you ask a question, you hear their answer, and then you're like, right, now I can tell you about me. And at that point, you have to think, no, Tim, ask another question, a follow-up question. Sometimes I even find myself saying, right, now repeat back what they've answered so you can uh, show that you've heard and help them to feel heard and, and serve them. And in it all, just thinking, Tim, they don't need your opinion or to hear about you in this moment. If they ask, it's a lovely thing, but just put others before yourself. For me, that's how I've had to... Uh, work that out. So how else do we walk? Well, we walk in these good relationships. We go with humility, gentleness, and patience. But Paul keeps moving. He says, actually, we are also to be eager for peace as we walk. He says, verse 3, we are eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And it's important to think about what we mean by peace, first of all. Now, I know a few people who I think are peacemakers, But really, what they hate is conflict. They just don't want to be in conflicts. They don't want to see others around them in conflicts. They certainly don't want to experience that for themselves. So peace for them is the absence of conflict. The problem is, eventually, that peace always fails because you're not trying to build unity. You're not trying to resolve issues. You're not trying to understand each other. You're just trying to avoid an argument. If your only common ground is that you're not going to argue, you're not going to have conflict, then that is not peace. Actually, peace in the Bible is a a deep, profound word that has many layers to it, but there's a, a sense of flourishing in peace. There's a sense of prospering in peace. There's a sense of uh, life being good and healthy and good for you and good for those around you. That is what peace is. So we walk as Paul describes it, by actually, again, allowing the Holy Spirit to cause that within us, to to help us understand what it means to flourish, but to help other people to flourish and prosper. And when we ask the Holy Spirit to be involved with us as a church, to be in our lives, to be in our communities, to be in our homes, perhaps even to be in our workplaces, then that prospering, that flourishing, that peace actually begins to establish. And we are called to walk in that. So Paul is, again, he's describing followers of Jesus, people who have said, yeah, Jesus, you are my Lord and Saviour. I want to walk with you. And those people, he says, you bring unity and peace to those around you. And it's a great question to ask yourself, actually, do I bring unity and peace? Everybody knows a situation, perhaps you're with a group of people and that one person then turns up and joins, whether it is workplace or family, and they bring anxiety. You know the temperature of the room changes and it becomes more tense. Nobody knows what they're going to say or do, or perhaps they're always moaning or whatever it might be, and they change the, the feel of the situation. They don't bring peace. But we also know the opposite. When somebody turns up 
into that situation and the atmosphere changes, becomes more positive perhaps or uh, other people thrive in that context and it is, uh, they bring peace. Again, in a previous job, again in, in Birmingham, another job I had in Birmingham, uh, where I, I worked right in the, the centre of the city in an office there. And actually, it was a really tense working environment. Uh, the boss uh, of that place was very detail-orientated. He had quite a short temper as well. And if you got on the wrong side of him or if he decided he was set against you, there wasn't a lot you could do about it. Uh, and on my team in that organisation, there were six of us and I was the only guy. It was a team of ladies and me. And, and what I noticed very quickly is that he never lost his temper with me. He was never short-tempered with me, the only bloke. But actually, with the ladies in that team, he was often uh, quite rude to them, quite cross, quite demanding. Uh, and I realised that they were actually were more diligent and hard-working than I was, but he rarely told me off. But if they made mistakes, he would tell them off really quite quickly. He realised, OK, this is, this is not a good place. This is a difficult place. Uh, so uh, there really wasn't very much I could do about it. I never saw him lose his temper. I just saw the after effects. I saw the people who were upset. So I thought, the only thing I can do is to try and bring a bit of fun to the office. So I thought, OK, I'll organise barbecues. So they came back to my house for a barbecue. We didn't invite the boss. Uh, and it was a relaxing time for them. Uh, we would, I would organise drinks after work on a Friday, those sort of things. So actually, we could get to know each other a little bit. It kind of was a helpful thing just to help people relax, feel like they had supports that people were there, were looking after him and understood perhaps it was a, a difficult place to work. And it was a very simple thing, but actually I, I think I was attempting to bring a little bit of joy, a little bit of peace, maybe a bit of flourishing to a difficult situation. We work and walk out our calling. That is what Paul is saying. Our calling to be a follower of Jesus actually is an active and ongoing thing. It's what Paul describes it as a walk. Every day you get up and you put one foot in front of the other. And we do that in our relationships. We do that actually as we bring peace, as we bring unity to places. And finally, we do it in how we worship. Paul says we worship one God. Verse 4, 5 and 6, he talks about how there's one body and one spirit. He says, as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call, there is one Lord, there's one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father of all, who's over all, through all, and in all. And see, this might seem really very obvious, okay, but let, just go with me for a minute. He, he's saying, how do we walk? Well, fundamentally, we walk towards the one God, the one true living God. Now, we're reading this maybe 2,000 years after it was written. Uh, and we live in a time where uh, Christianity has flourished across the world. There are probably billions of people that follow Jesus. Uh, we live in European Western uh, culture, which is built and based on Christianity. Uh, and we understand the concept of there just being one God. Even people who are atheists will describe, I, I don't believe in God. They'll really say, I don't believe in all of the gods. They will talk about saying, I don't believe in God. So as a as a species, we're quite comfortable with that concept now. But when Paul wrote this letter, 
They were worshipping lots and lots of different gods. The Romans, the Greeks, all worshipping loads of different gods. And actually, if you were to walk north into into Britain at that time, the Saxons who lived there, they also worshipped lots of different gods. It was very usual at that time. And so Paul is trying to just hammer this point home, actually, in this very new faith. Actually, it's important that we worship just one god. You think, well, why does that matter today? How is that relevant to us today? Well, actually, in the modern world, we still have plenty of gods. We just don't talk about them in that language. So perhaps for some of us, career is our god. Effectively, the thing that you walk towards, that your life is built upon, that is the most important thing to you in the world, the thing that you worship. For some people, it might be career. Perhaps even it's family. Perhaps it's your sense of independence and your desire to be your own person and that defines your walk. Perhaps even it's your sexuality. Perhaps it's your desire to acquire wealth. Perhaps it's just comfort. These are the things that we live for and worship. Actually, Paul is saying that there is one God. There is one faith. There is one thing that we walk towards. There actually is one father of all. All of these other things can't be a father to you. All of these other things will eventually, in some way, let you down or will fail you. To walk in a manner worthy of your calling, as he describes, is to walk towards God's alone. Or as Jesus says in Matthew, he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So it is a pleasure to be with you in Reddish and One of my favourite things, actually, is watching new sites of CCM begin to come to life. Uh, I've planted a couple of them. We planted uh, Fallowfield and the one that is now the Heatons. Uh, And when they begin to come to life, as new people join, as perhaps some people find God for the first time or reconnect with God, it's wonderful to watch. It's wonderful watching when people begin to step up in responsibility and and take ownership for things and and make things happen. It's, It's good fun to watch. It's also a bit fun, and you might think this is a bit weird, but when things get difficult and tough, and then when that is processed through and you come through it, and actually people grow and mature in those times, it's wonderful to watch that as well. And and all of this is walking and learning how to follow Jesus, how to follow the way towards God's, our walk towards Jesus. So I want you to pause just for a moment. I'm going to pray in a second and consider that question how is my walk? And Paul has suggested some things which may reveal where we are, our relationships around us, perhaps our desire for for peace and what we bring to the world, perhaps even whether we worship the one true God or perhaps whether our worship is misaligned. Paul asks us, how is our walk? So I'm going to pray. Let's just close our eyes for a second. Yeah, Father in heaven, we thank you for your goodness and your kindness. Lord, we thank you that you long to see churches established across the planet where people love each other and they love you, Lord God. It's so simple. Actually, where we follow the example of your son who laid down his life for us, who went into death for us, who gave up everything so that we could thrive 
so that we could be free, so we could be uh, free from sin, so that we could uh, be part of his kingdom and have purpose again, Lord God. And yet we are to live that out as well. We are to walk in that way, Lord. And I pray even this morning by your Holy Spirit, just as we pause for this moment, would you just move in our hearts? Just allow that question to sink in. How is my walk? And in that moment, know that actually that walk along the way, right next to us is Jesus, walking with us. Like those two guys that fled after Jesus had been crucified, they were leaving Jerusalem, and then suddenly you appeared on the road next to them, on the way to Emmaus. Oh God, you walk with us on the way. Holy Spirit, I ask you would even move now. Lord, bring reassuring words bring kindness, perhaps bring a nudge and a challenge, a suggestion, perhaps you need to walk a bit this way. I feel like God would say to a number of us, actually very simply, that he loves how we're walking. And we may think of our lives in very simple terms. Oh, I I just go to work, I just have my family. What else have I done? Actually, as we walk out those relationships, as we attempt to do all of those things and work well and live life in a way which we think honours God, actually we walk. We walk with him.